welcome to the SCTS Education Podcast. I'm Caroline Toulon, Cardiothoracic Registrar in the northwest of England, and in this episode we talk to Professor Peter Brennan all about human factors and their application to surgery. Professor Brennan is a maxillofacial and head and neck consultant in the NHS and has also completed a PhD in human factors, where he's done a lot of collaboration with airline pilots and clinicians from multiple specialties to build an impressive body of work on the subject. Peter gives us an overview on what human factors are and how we can use this knowledge to help prevent and mitigate human error in ever more complicated environments we work in. Let's get started. Welcome, this is Professor Peter Brennan, who is a maxillofacial surgeon and head and neck at the Queen Alexandra Hospital in Portsmouth. Um, And he's an honorary professor there. Uh, And not only is he a head and neck surgeon, but he's also got a PhD in human factors and very brilliantly did a presentation at one of the um, affiliated talks with the SCTS uh, conference, which was all about mindfulness in surgery, which I thought in some ways... um, some ways that title might have switched a few people off, which I thought was unfair because it was an absolutely excellent session. And um, there was a whole range of speakers uh, about, including yourself, all about uh, talking about safety, human factors, um, elements. There was an, uh, someone who was an Olympic rower there as well. So, so it wasn't sort of all about sitting down and deep breathing, although that was mentioned and the benefits of that were also highlighted. So not to dismiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was an excellent session. And, uh, and I know there was some very good feedback from it as well. Um, so what we're here to talk about today is about human factors. And in particular, uh, we're going to try and think about it in context of surgery. And I'll try and put things in context of cardiothoracic surgery, because uh, it's probably something we need to be addressing more. Hence why the SCTS were uh, encouragingly involved in that particular webinar. Um, so first of all, uh, can you tell us what is what are human factors? Well, I guess I guess the clue is probably in the title, isn't it? Really, you know, it's we're all we're all human. Uh, it's the factors that are that affect us both at an individual level, so our individual performance. Um, we always interact with others, so it's so it's how we interact with others. It's our it's our communication. It's our um, it's our situation awareness. Not to go what's going on around us uh, and the rest of the team um, it's about um, it's about lowering hierarchy lowering gradients doing things as much as we can to reduce error um, and I guess it's also about that that kind of ergonomics it's about how how we interact with systems um, and equipment as well so um, it's a it's an enormous subject and if you ask a hundred different people they each give you a different uh, explanation of of what they they define human factors to be, mm-hmm. and uh, and what sort of relevance have human factors got to surgery? So what can we what can we try and implement, or what's the important things that we need to think about? Yeah, uh, so so I think I think it's worth probably just coming back a step actually, and just and just accepting that we are we are fallible. You know, we make about five to seven mistakes a day on average, uh, and that can be something simple like um, happened to me even this morning. Actually, I got I got a couple of minutes down the road and I realised I forgot my phone, so you know, had to come back and collect that. So, um, so we we make errors on a regular basis, um, and of course, when we come to work, that continues. So. Uh, one in 20 hospital admissions has some form of error. And of those, another one in 20, so that's one in 400 uh, hospital admissions, has a serious error. Um, and there's a very interesting paper that's well worth looking at if you're interested. Uh, it's published in the BMJ in 2019 uh, by Panagiotti et al. Uh, and they did uh, a meta-analysis looking at 330 odd thousand patients and that's where this figures come from uh, and they found that the uh, that the most dangerous places really are our ICU uh, and the operating theatre so um, so when we go to theatre you know we have to have to try and do everything we can to uh, to minimize error mm-hmm. and that and that for me is what is what human factors application is all about mm. and I think we do so many things to try and improve patient outcomes in other ways, don't we? You know, we spend a lot of time working out 
how what proportion of medication might improve a patient's outcome over 10, 20 years or more. Um, we argue over different inotropes and which one's going to improve a patient's outcome. And yet, from what I can see, actually, the human factors component makes up a huge proportion of the issues that can affect a patient's outcome. It's, kind of- it's, a, hu- it's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, we've, d- we've done quite a lot of work around um, uh, interactions in theatre, um, around briefing, around the checklist. And um, so many colleagues, yes, yes, they engage with the checklist, but sometimes it's almost like a tick box exercise. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't engage with it as if their own life, life or limb depended on it. Um, it's a fantastic, uh, well, it isn't a fantastic story, really, but um, a fantastic analogy of, a, of an enormous great container ship um, that capsized in the Solent on the south coast about three or four years ago. Um, and there are a whole host, host of reasons why it capsized. It had a, uh, a cargo of um, expensive cars, Bentleys, um, JCB trucks and things. Uh, and when you look back at the checklist, all of the ticks were almost identical. They were, they were just ticked off. Um, and some of the ticks were ticked off for things that weren't actually checked. And if they had have been checked, um, that capsize wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, this is an issue that, uh, that doesn't just affect operating theatres. It affects us, uh, us as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, the shorter the checklist is, um, the more likely we, we are to engage with it, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes people might have heard of non-technical skills. How does that fit in the human factors umbrella? Yeah, so, um, so non-technical skills uh, includes things like um, assessment, you know, taxonomy. I mean, if you look at the, the knots, um, uh, the not the non-optive technical skills for surgeons run by the Edinburgh College. Mm-hmm. You know, most of that is around assessment and taxonomy, mm-hmm. uh, and including things like you know um, um, situation awareness, like um, assessment, like um, communication. And I mean, for me, yes, yes, human factors encompass all of that, but it but it's actually so much more than that. It's it's improving our our own performance. Um, you know, by recognising physiology, by recognising, um, you know, the effects of hydration or dehydration, uh, by the um, the effects of anger and emotion and how, how that affects us. Um, and then the actual interactions that we have between us that we that we touched upon earlier, um, knowing that colleagues actually can actively challenge each other without fear. Uh, that's very much human factors. Um, actively low, lowering gradients uh, and building team situation awareness, not just individual, but building teams situation awareness as well so so there's a lot of overlap i think i think not is a fantastic um introduction mm. um but of course it doesn't cover all of the human factors that we talk about mm. when we're looking at um evidence of how we're using or how we're starting to introduce the human factors concepts within hospital you mentioned the checklists already and that they might not be utilized effectively sometimes you've demonstrated that very well with that solent example why do you think we're not using them what what's what is what's the reason that we're not kind of complying with that sort of thing and and why we have it as a we have this checklist mentality rather than using it as a checklist yep so mm. um part part of it is probably historical part of it uh i suspect is cultural mm. um people people don't think you know that an error is going to happen happen to them you know they think they're um they're invincible and if you haven't had an error uh, happen to you you think oh all this human factors is all um, it's nonsense. Uh, and I have colleagues actually telling me that they're saying, oh, you're doing all this work. But you know what? You know, it's, um, I can't really see the point of it. I've never had a problem myself. And it's like, well, you're you're the person that probably needs this more than anyone mm. because uh, because you're lacking an insight, perhaps, in the um, in the value. Um, so I think partly cultural. Um I mean, certainly all, all of us are pressured, aren't we? We're busy people. We're we're. Uh, we're rushing from one from one place to the next. Um, part of errors actually happens because surgeons maybe don't actually go and see the patient themselves preoperatively, so they rely on perhaps a more junior member of staff. Um, they rely on someone else, um, and then that particular person might might have misread the letter, or um, or there's an error starting to form. So the um, so the operation uh, note or the um, or the booking form perhaps is. Um, is submitted and it has the wrong side on it and then that propagates and then the surgeon actually comes and does the surgery because they haven't seen the patient Mm. and then um, an error actually happens so um, 
I think most most areas actually multifactorial, mm -hmm. and um, you know we we need we need time. Yes, we do, um, and we need to change culture. Yeah. You know, th those are the two things for me that are most important. That's I've actually written something down here when I put down about team briefs. I've said the team basically your safety net. Um, and I think one of the really vital parts of using that checklist or one of the ways to use it is, yes, it's got some important vital safety information, but it's also a way of, you know, uh, introducing yourself to a bunch of people that you may not have worked with before or you may not have worked with for some time and uh, also addressing the hierarchy structure because you kind of set the tone at that point you set the tone of the day and you can make it threatening or you can make it relaxed or you can make and you can make it focused um and uh and i think that goes some way to facilitating other people then pointing out things to you that you might have missed or um picking up things along the way and 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 being free to talk about it so i think it's one of those things that we you know there's ticking boxes but there's also um a, another side to it of of making sure that that everybody's on the same page and and also being able to discuss with people at that stage what your expectations and what your needs are within within that environment um uh, that that kind of takes me on a little bit to another point that I know you've spoken about before, which is the whole uh, music in the in the theatre thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And and aside from whether or not you like music in the theatre, but just the noise level. That, well, there's a there's a phrase that is sometimes used: ten thousand feet, isn't there? That's something I've heard yeah. in yeah. in the Knots course, yeah. I think it was, um, and yeah. that is being implemented. It's a phrase the pilots use when they're at a That's particularly correct. important part of landing or taking off. I think they say ten thousand yeah. feet quiet in the cockpit, you know. Yeah. And it started to be implemented in operating theatres to try and make sure that people are quiet at a certain important time. And uh, and it strikes me that um, that again, a team brief might be an opportunity to say. At this point, I'm going to need quiet, you know, and I apologise if I if I come across as rude at that point, but I it's important. You know. Absolutely, I mean you you cover a whole a whole host of really important factors actually. So you know, I think the most important thing at at that team brief is um, is the introductions, nice and warm. Um, you know, you you can call me Peter, you can call me Professor Brennan, you can call me whatever you want, a derogatory term I don't mind. But as long as as long as you feel that you can speak up, if you have any concerns whatsoever, uh, I think. Um, the power of the team briefing and allowing trainees to lead that team brief, that's empowering um, the trainee is showing value. You know, I value everyone in the team equally, you know, and that's really, really important. So, yes, there is a hierarchy. Yes, the consultant surgeon is ultimately responsible for the patient. Uh, but we work we work as part of a team, don't we? We mentioned that right at the start. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you if you empower the team um, both to be able to speak up and both to be your eyes and ears and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're looking out for each other all the time. Um, you're talking about those what if scenarios, um, maybe even before you operate. So, you know, if you're, you're going to be doing a complex cardiac case, you know, actually walk through the what if, what might happen if, um, and then you then don't get that startle reaction that, um, that you or the team can have. Um, and actually say, yes, and actually say, saying to the team, look, you know, if we get to a point, you know, two and a half, three hours in, when we start getting tired, please will someone speak up and say, look, look I'm feeling slightly tired. Um, and you've, and you've really briefed the team in an open and warm, um, fashion. And you've, and you've spent a few minutes briefing the team rather than, right, here we are. Who's on the list? First on the list. Just as you said, you know, mm -hmm. the team sets the tone. I think, um, um, I think that uh, the noise is an interesting one, and some some colleagues will love will love music in theatre, um, and that immediately creates um, an issue because because what you might like, you know, you might like Mozart, for example, and I and I despise Mozart, and I and I prefer uh, some heavy rock music or vice versa. Um, so, uh, you know, playlists are what are what we would recommend, and we've published on this. Um, but at, at those safety critical moments, or at those moments when you need to concentrate intensely, um, you know, noise noise does interrupt that um, noise does interrupt that process. And there's lots of published data to show, you know, that noise and distractions impair our manual dexterity. So, so if at the brief you've actually said, you know, there may be times when uh, when I just need some peace and quiet, I don't want to be interrupted or disturbed. Um, um, I personally don't use that term sterile cockpit because mm -hmm. I think it's a bit anal, actually, to be honest. Um, but that, 
but that actually is the term that's used. So anything below um, 10,000 feet on the flight deck is very much procedure. So they're not interrupted by the air hostesses bringing them a cup of tea or coffee. They're not going to talk where they're going out for dinner um, that evening or what have you. They're only talking procedure and enables them to task focus uh, onto the most important parts of the flight um, or the um, or the most dangerous parts of the flight, uh, namely the takeoff and landing. Um, so really important, yeah. Yeah, and actually you saying that, that makes me think of attention because ultimately that's what we're trying to do at these points and I think that underlies a lot of human factors is understanding that you have a finite amount of attention. It can be set in a few directions but actually much as we might like to think that we can spread our attention over multiple areas science tells us otherwise and not Correct. just science experience uh, and often Correct. personal experience as well so um, um so um so let me give you an example of um so-called so-called multitasking isn't it really so um when you're driving uh, and someone telephones you um and assuming you've got you've got hands free of course um are you concentrating more uh, on the telephone call or, or more on the driving and you know people and people drive and then and then you'll receive uh, your caller will be saying oh you're not listening to me or or you didn't get that or whatever you and that's because you're concentrated more more on the driving or worse the um, the other way around you're concentrated more on the call um and there you are on the motorway and then you then you drift lanes or someone carves you up but uh, but actually it's you not um not paying due attention um so we've just published actually an open heart it's an open access journal um so uh, freely available for for anyone interested to download um about distractions in the cardiac catheter lab which mm. is another very yeah. dangerous area mm-hmm. um and i think we found uh, in 190 procedures and of course bear in mind these are angioplasties their uh, insertion of, um, of things there was 55 uh, percent um, of those procedures there was a distraction mm-hmm. so the cardiologist was interrupted or something was going on or um, can you just talk to this person on the phone um, or what have you um, and in about 10 percent so in about I think 15 of the of the procedures it was a serious distraction mm-hmm. uh, fortunately no harm came to the patients but it was a it was a serious distraction um, and that's because your um, your attention diverts and it goes you know you can't you can't split your attention really mm-hmm. people think you can but but actually you can't yeah. Um, important to remember. Yeah, um, I saw you put me onto a, the CAP 737 thing, um, the, which is something designed by pilots about attention. And there was something very interesting on there. They said um, about, uh, they said, um, it's, it's not enough to say that you need to pay attention to something else rather than what you were paying attention to, because actually that doesn't make a difference and actually it's important to then look at the workload the person's dealing with at the moment the mental workload and then work out how you can have less mental workload so it's quite a a kind of a considered approach on how to to take how to address that problem it's it's quite it's not a simple one to solve actually um apart from just making sure you're not distracted as much as me that's the that would be ideal wouldn't it to have yeah, so, fewer distractions uh, caroline you mentioned mm. you mentioned that cap 737 mm. and, for, and for our listeners mm. uh, cap cap mm. um, 737 is the most amazing uh, free to download document produced by the civil aviation authority mm-hmm. and and yes it's for airline pilots but uh, but actually, most of it, if you just take pilot and plane out of it, that's applicable to to anyone in any walk of life, surgeon, mm-hmm. anaesthetist, um, uh, you know, train driver. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those human factors are are equally transferable. Mm-hmm. So well, well worth a read. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a fantastic wealth of information, amazing document. Yeah, I thought that we should talk a little bit about the aim of what the aim of human factors is ultimately to prevent errors, ideally, but it's also accepting that it's kind of inevitable that we will make them. And because we accept that we can make them, we then work in the solutions to try and prevent them from happening. And some of those solutions include things like team briefs and checklists and and taking regular breaks. And that's another thing we need to come on to. Um, But I thought it was also important to think about how error is dealt with itself. Because I think one of the reasons that maybe we get nervous about addressing this whole issue 
is because actually the result of it or the the reason that we even have to think about it in the first place is because it involves error and no one likes error no one likes experiencing it no one likes having been part of it it's miserable and ultimately it it's it's just horrible to deal with and i wonder yeah. if that's part of the reason why we're reluctant to actually admit it and address some of the issues that are around it it's how good are we at, how good are we at, at dealing with that aspect of things as surgeons do you, do you think that's something that we're good at or not, maybe? <laughs> yeah, so uh, so first and foremost, and we've said this before, mm-hmm. error error is inevitable, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we, we will never never be able to prevent um, error. There's a, there's a fantastic quote by Cicero, um, who's, a, who's a Roman philosopher in, uh, in about 90 BC, I think, I think he said, um, I think he was, mm-hmm. and he says, um, um, anyone can make an error, you know, obviously, but only a fool persists in error. So, mm-hmm. so learning from uh, from experience. I think as surgeons, you know, we uh, we don't we don't like accepting that um, that we that we fail, if that's the right mm-hmm. word. And I don't think it is, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, so we have an error. Um, uh, we. Uh, we feel disappointed. We feel guilty. We feel upset. Um, human human nature, as it is, we tr- we try and blame someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but error is inevitable, and mm-hmm. and and so that for me is why the term never event. Uh, you know, that just shouldn't be used yeah. because you will never um, eliminate error. It's just impossible. Yeah. Um, and all you can do, Caroline, is to. Um, you know, is to is to minimise is to minimise error. You'll never mm-hmm. completely eliminate it. Absolutely. And I, when I was right, having a think about this, I thought maybe we can we need to rebrand error, <laughs> and maybe think of it as these are unexpected or unintended events. And then yep. we have to look at the reason for these unexpected and, uninte- and unintended events. Um, and one of the things that really got me thinking about how we deal with error, not just from the point of view of, uh, of you know, medical profession, etc. But but I watched um, Sully recently, uh, you know, yes. the film about the pilot was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So that's the film about the pilot who landed the plane on the Hudson River. And um and it actually ended up being different to what I thought it was going to be about, I have to yeah. say, which I think is probably the intention of the filmmakers, but it, it's well worth watching. And one of the things that really comes across is that this person who ultimately did, you know, did a tremendous job in an incredibly difficult circumstance um, is, is, you know, taken through the mill about potential and potentially could have been scapegoated i mean that's essentially what was almost Absolutely. you know you could see the process and that ultimately that's i mean you could see from the process how difficult it is so you know no wonder you know you go through a situation where you have an unintended consequence or you know an event that happens and then you're under tremendous pressure, even when you could have done potentially absolutely nothing wrong and everything right. You're still under this pressure that you're worried about, you know, what the process and how fair the process is going to be and how it's going to show you. Um, and not just that, but um, but also just the whole dealing with having even been through the process in the first place, not, you know, the event itself causes yeah. enough trauma. Everybody knows whatever's happening. It can be a, a minor thing. It can be a major thing. But it's terrible if you think you've caused any harm to a patient. And um, and so it, I just wonder if we're that good at dealing with those sorts of things. You know, we, we need to try and, and and the great thing about human factors is it might prevent the likelihood of it all happening. And secondly, it might make us better at dealing with it if and when it does. I mean that um, that Sullenberger, um, Sully Sullenberger mm-hmm. event that was uh, 2008, as you know, and they hit they hit a flock of geese actually, and um, both engines went went out on that on that 320 Airbus, um, and um, he was pulled through the mill because um, of course they knew it was then going to happen, and so so they put their pilots in the simulators and then mm-hmm. immediately tried to tried to turn the plane round and land it back. You know, I think he had 30 seconds of. Of kind of thinking, almost almost like startle time, and mm. oh gosh, what's happened? And thinking time before before they kind of made the decision, and they didn't factor that in. You see, and mm. so they, um, you know, they were kind of looking or um, almost to blame him, I guess, mm-hmm. and say, oh well, you could have you could have landed it back. And um, as you say, it's well worth watching uh, to see his emotional uh, status. And I think mm. and I think he did suffer uh, from post traumatic stress disorder mm. following it. Mm. Um, and you only have to look at. 
uh, you know, cases Baragaba, for example, and, and, other, and other cases, there is uh, or there has been uh, a blame culture. Um, so, you know, and that is two um, things, doesn't it? One, one, it means people don't want to report an adverse incident or an error because, because they're in fear that, that, um, that they, might, they might be blamed. Um, you know, um, and two, it's all, it's all, of those, all those knock-on effects. And most, most error... Um, as we know, uh, is not down to an individual, an mm-hmm. individual person. It's a whole string of uh, factors that align. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the familiar Swiss uh, cheese. And I've, d- I've done a lot of work around, um, um, around the different layers. Um, and for cardiothoracic surgery, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lovely paper, mm-hmm. um, some, some years old now, but it's, um, it's looking at human factors in the, um, in the operating room in cardiac surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's using something called the Human Factors Analysis and Classification System, HFACS. And that has all those different layers. Um, well worth a read mm-hmm. um, for, you, for you in cardiothoracic mm-hmm. surgery, mm-hmm. Uh, available on PubMed, of course. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so I, think, so I think we need a change in culture. Um, I don't know if you've seen the CQC document. Um, it's a 2018 document. It's called "Opening the Door to Change." I don't know if you've seen. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So this this is a document uh, which again is available on the internet, mm-hmm. um, produced by the CQC. Uh, and one of the first things they say is this: this should be read by by every person in the National Health Service. And when you ask people, most people have never even heard mm. of it. You know, mm. so that's yeah. the first thing. Um, and they talk about the. Um, the role of human factors uh, and the role of a just culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, yes, it's not a blame culture. Everyone is accountable, of course. You know, we're all accountable for our actions. Um, and, you know, and, that, and that's to prevent another, um, uh, another Patterson, another mm-hmm. shipment. You know, we're, we're all accountable mm-hmm. and they, they willfully did, did those things. Uh, but most of us don't go to work with the intention of causing harm. Mm-hmm or error and that's why we need we need a just culture um and we need to learn rather than saying you know you you are to blame for this it's like why did this happen and what can we learn for it that's that's how we should be Mm. um looking at things um it's going to take years to change to change the culture but it but it is slowly changing it really is yeah i think it is slowly changing um it's I, I think the just culture thing kind of overlaps with the concept of psychological safety, actually. Um, so this seems to be something that's um, that was highlighted. At least I came across it through um, the Aristotle project, which was done by Google to find out how to make their teams more productive. And they found the thing that was going to make um, that the the thing that had in common for all the teams that did well, no matter whereabouts they worked in the industry, was this psychological safety concept, which is basically meaning that communication was good, that people felt able to talk about things and share beliefs and lack of hierarchy, all of the sort of things that come under human factors. I mean, the whole thing has masses of overlap, but it just shows that, you know, there are, there are big companies out there who are finding that this is useful for reasons other than you know the obvious that we're discussing but but purely you know for for productivity and for making basically for making money is their purposes for it but you know it has value for them doesn't it so that's that's good um okay so then things that we can put um in place to kind of uh, minimize our chances of having issues with human factors so we've talked a little bit about attention and lack of distractions and we touched on it briefly you mentioned about breaks and you were about to talk i think about the halt side of things which is um yeah it's very useful Mm. yeah definitely so um um, again culture and Mm. uh i mean certain uh, areas of surgery, including cardiothoracic, including some spinal surgery. I mean, some of the head and neck stuff that we do, operations can go on for nine or ten hours. Mm-hmm. And you know, there will be colleagues that will operate for that for that length of time because that's what they've always done, and they feel that's right. And it's you know, and that's um, and they've maybe been trained to do it that way. But I think I I would just immediately come back to you and say, would you would you drive from London to Edinburgh, which is about seven eight nine hour drive depending on traffic would you do that drive without stopping to take a break Mm. and i haven't come across a single person that said um yes they would uh, do it do it non-stop we we all stop for breaks whether it be in manchester or birmingham or or some of us have stopped for two breaks Mm -hmm. and we stop we have a comfort break we have a cup of tea or coffee or a drink or what have you stretch our legs um and then we get back in the car and we feel so much better for doing it 
Yeah. Um, and then, of course, in the operating theatre, you know, you carry on for that for that length of time um, because that's what you've always done. Now, when you start looking at it physiologically, um, you know, pat- particularly if you're wearing PPE at the moment, you know, and o- over the summer months, um, we sp- uh, we start to perspire, so we so we start to lose body water, um, and there's a number of papers uh, published that show if you lose about one to two, one to three kilograms, something like that, of your of your total body weight in water loss, your cognitive function falls by twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So so that's the first thing. So of course it happens really really slowly. Um, and you don't even know it's happening, you know. And of course, not just you; it's the whole of the team as well. Um, so, you know, take, taking that break is just so, so, so important. Um, and you actually catch the time up because you then, you know, regain your your um, your energy or whatever word you want to use, um, and you and you catch that time up, you know. Um, uh, again, we've published on that as well. So, um, and it's not it's not. Um, um, you know, it's not um, it's not having the big personality or the big you know thing. It's not a failure to take a break. Mm-hmm. It's um, quite the reverse. It's mm-hmm. actually uh, you know it's fantastic for you and the team, mm-hmm. um, and actually empowering the team at the start. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, empowering the team at the start. You know, if you're concentrating and doing a complex cardiac procedure, mm-hmm. uh, time is going to go past really really quickly, and yeah. you're going to get tunnel vision because you're. Uh, you're focused on the on the task that you're doing. So having someone looking out for you and saying, um, you know what, Caroline, you've been mm-hmm. operating now for three and a half, four hours. Mm-hmm. Are you at a safe point to stop? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we walk away for 15 minutes and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so pack the wound, whatever you need to do, uh, have the patient safe, walk away, come back, and you will catch that time up. Mm-hmm. And the team will be so much happier as well yeah yeah um and I have to say I always I always think when there's been when I've been at the table for a long time and I'm thinking oh I'm feeling a bit weary I know that like the scrub nurse has been there for probably the same amount of time yeah. if not longer yeah. because they've been getting all the instruments out beforehand etc etc so I guess and I always have to like think right well, I'm feeling like this they're probably feeling the same so you have the, the whole factors which is when to consider stopping yeah, so those, those, are, mm-hmm. those are hungry, mm-hmm. um, and again, you know, um, take taking a regular break, to have something to eat, mm-hmm. um, and if you if you miss lunch, if you operate through through your lunch break, you you start you start you know your energy level starts to fall, you get a bit hypo, whatever. Um, then in the evening, then you overeat, mm-hmm. so you actually put weight on. So that's the whole that's that's the age. A is for anger. Um, so, you know, of course, of course, we bring our whole selves to work. And if we if we're angry about something or, uh, you know, marital disharmony, we've had a row or we can't find a carpet, um, car parking space or what have you. Um, something called a sentinel event. So a little something that then just tips you over the edge mm-hmm. and then you become really angry and you might shout at a colleague mm-hmm. or a member of the team. Um, you're then probably going to regret that afterwards um, and the team will lose respect. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, respect takes a long time to build up. Mm-hmm. And just for you shouting or swearing at someone, um, they're going to they're gonna lose respect and they're not, they're not going to respect you. So mm-hmm. that's the A. So hungry, angry. Mm-hmm. Um, L is for late or lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so again, if you're, if you're running late or if you're, um, you know, if you want, if you want some advice or you mm-hmm. want, you want some, uh, some help, that's the kind of lonely thing mm-hmm. rather than just carrying on. And, you know, again, possibly getting a bit tunnel vision and going down a dark hole, mm-hmm. you know, basically stop, stand back, um, get a friend to come and help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, the T is tired. So mm-hmm. hungry, angry, late or lonely um, or tired, that's halt. Mm-hmm. And there's very few instances when you can't stop. You know, people say, well, I can't stop. I can't stop. And I think the only time you can't stop if you're operating, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. um, or if you have a if you have a major airway issue mm-hmm. uh, or if you have a torrential hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. M- most other times you, um, you can stop uh, and even if it's only just for a few minutes, mm-hmm. stop, regroup, regain that situation awareness for you and the team, walk away if possible, um, take that break. Halt is just so, mm-hmm. so, so important. And I think um, all of those things make me think about the attention side of things again, because yep. the minute any of those things creep in, part of your attention is over with that you know it, it, they even talk about it in that pilot document, the CAP 737, they say um, yep. emotion 
is an an attention seeker basically it takes away some of your attention so the minute you get angry part of your attention's on i'm angry i'm angry or you know hungry my attention's on being hungry you know so so it's all it's all interlinked um you know i i think with the stopping that the um the i guess from a cardiothoracic point of view particularly with cardiac um the the bypass thing is there's always an argument oh you know the patient's on bypass or the like particularly the cross clamps on you know no one's going to be risking anything um uh, and obviously bypass you know we, we don't want to have people on on bypass for longer than they need to be but yes. i would i would then backtrack a little bit to your previous point which is about making up time so yep. sometimes there are points my goodness when it is just enough is enough and you know people are just at the end of their tether and actually if you know that maybe five minutes and actually you'll be able to make up that time rather than maybe making a bad decision or, you know, doing something you're going to later regret that's actually going yep. to take you twice as long on bypass. You know, there are these things to weigh up that actually when you're in that kind of mindset, you just may not, you may not be able to even process the the impact. Um, great. So, um, situational awareness was another thing I wanted to touch on um, yes, because yes, yes. that's something that I think is quite difficult to um, to fully comprehend sometimes or yeah um and actually i was listening to you discuss it with a podcast with a trainee from belfast i think it was and um she had a really really good example of what situational awareness was i'll just share it a little uh, briefly but it it was about um, making a cup of tea and that you can make a cup of tea in your own house you know where everything is you do everything you know what you've got it sorted down you go into somebody else's house you got no clue where the tea bags are. You got no clue where the cups are. Everything is taking you longer. You have to think through every single different step, and it just shows the difference between th- having to think through and how your situational awareness will have to change um, between one scenario and another. And I found that quite a useful illustration of how it's it's different you know things can throw you off you can be put in a different situation you're doing the same thing but there's something that's going to make it a little bit more difficult than you maybe first anticipated yeah yeah i think i think um i'm an essay uh i got i got absolutely grilled about situation mm-hmm. when i said my in my phd viva actually that 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 actually went on for four hours the viva and that, at the two <laughs> hour point um uh, I suggested that we that we take a break, and of course, bear in mind that the examiners one was a professor of surgery, one was um, an Airbus A380, um, the double decker captain, and one was a psychologist. And I said, oh, I think I think we should take a break. And they were like, well, well, no, this is an exam. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm just I'm just really um, I'm just demonstrating human factors to you. And sure enough, we did take a break and we walked away and came back 50 minutes later and then and then fresh again. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, and then the second part start, started about situational awareness, funnily enough. So, so it's a dynamic, it's a dynamic thing. It's what's happened to bring you to the point where we are right here and now. It's what's happening right this minute, and it's what might happen in future. And um, and the situational awareness, both for yourself and for the team. So. So of course, people people will be familiar with the Elaine Bromley mm. um, incident. Mm-hmm. You know, many many years ago, um, a whole a whole team lost the airway. Mm-hmm. Um, the lady came in for a routine ENT operation. They lost the airway. They got tunnel vision. Um, if they'd have just stood back for five seconds and thought, "What should we do?" They could have done a needle cricothyroidotomy, and they would have saved her. But they were just so obsessed with with getting the tube down. And unfortunately, she died. Mm. Um, and and that was the team losing the SA. I mean, there's lots of other factors as well that, of course, we don't, we don't have time to talk to. But um, but for me, I mean, there's basically there's three levels. I think one is oblivious, so you've mm-hmm. got you've got no idea um, uh, what's um, what's going on, um, and then you've got the the kind of um, the awareness, if you like. So that that would be your your analogy about going into someone else's house mm-hmm. um, and actually looking looking for the um, the cups and the mm-hmm. sugar and the milk and things, um, and then you've got the um, the actively thinking ahead, mm. um, and that's why I mentioned about the what if scenarios that the the team break. If you're if you're actively thinking ahead, you've you've got the best situation awareness. Mm. Um, so just let me give you two examples then that you you might like to think about. So an example of oblivious situation awareness is every single day when we use we use our mobile phones. We mm. have apps on the phone. Uh, do you know without looking? Do you know what app is on the top right? Uh, of your first screen on your on your phone 
And you use your phone every day. Do yeah. you remember? <laughs> not a clue. <laughs> so the thing is, you're 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 not using situation awareness for that. You're relying mm. on that phone. You're mm-hmm. totally oblivious. Yeah. Um, an example of um, of building essay, and I use I use this in my in my talks um, and slides and things is um, is a um, is a four is a four pint bottle of milk, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you put a line about half, halfway at the top or halfway down and you say, right, this is when we need to start thinking about getting another another bottle here mm-hmm. rather than right at the bottom when we're, when we're almost out of milk, mm-hmm. when it's a Friday night, when the shops are shut and things. Mm-hmm. That's really good situation awareness. Mm-hmm. It's actually thinking ahead. It's mm-hmm. actually planning the things. Um, and if you do that, if you actually think ahead and you've got really good essay, you will avoid error completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you then kind of notice and you're and you're aware but you're not you're not really um, sure, um, then you can potentially trap an error from happening. So mm-hmm. an error might happen, but you but you trap it and you progress. Um, sorry, you prevent it from propagating. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, then if you're if you're totally oblivious, um, all you can do is call mitigate um, mm-hmm. against an error. So the errors happened. You know, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and unless you then uh, regain essay you know, it's it's going to propagate and get worse and worse. Um, So we've published about that. And that, and that again is available open access, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, avoid, avoid trap um, and mitigate error through, through human factors uh, and situational awareness. Um, Simple concept. It's actually much more difficult um, in practice because so many other, other factors come into play, like the tunnel vision, um, like competence, and you know we we start off being uh, unconsciously incompetent, so we're so we're totally oblivious, and obviously got no idea about about our own competence. And then we slowly progress through to comp- sorry, conscious competence, uh, where we actually have to think about what we're doing. Um, and the trap is is to go into unconscious competence mm-hmm. when when you're just doing the operation and you're and you're blasé because you've done a hundred mm-hmm. um, coronary artery mm-hmm. bypass graphs mm-hmm. or what have you. Um, and that's when you get a, when you get a it potentially run into difficulty again. So mm. always think ahead and always always keep thinking and um, and have, having that situational awareness so important and, and empower the team to look out for you. That's what I was going to say. I think one of the other key important things there is your team because actually they're the ones who might just see something that you've forgotten about or not realised or you don't realise actually they don't have that kit or that, you know, and somebody else, and one of the sisters will be like, oh, actually we don't have that or we have this as an alternative is that going to be okay or you know like oh did we not know there was a latex allergy that kind of you know this is the sort of thing that um that that is why the team is the safety net absolutely 100 Um, percent there's lots of different ways isn't there to mm. challenge to challenge authority Mm -hmm. um uh you know pace is one is one that people talk about so you so Mm -hmm. you probe first and you say oh um oh um, oh, I didn't realise this. This person had an allergy or somewhere or other. Mm. Um, and then you um, alert the person to it. So you know this person has has a latest allergy. You know they're uh, they're wearing the wristband and things. Then you actively challenge. Mm. Um, um, and then if they're still if they're still going to go ahead, then you then you call an emergency. You say, mm. look, stop. I'm not happy with this. You know, mm. let's just stop and things. Mm. Um, so um, and I think United Airlines use use something called cuss, uh, which is which are kind of words, so mm-hmm. um, um, you know, feeling uh, feeling um, slightly uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, is the U. I feel scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the C is concerned. So mm-hmm. you you start off by saying, "I feel I feel concerned." Yes. You know, I feel concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is a bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. And finally, I feel scared. I feel yeah. scared about what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, so so just em- emotive words that yeah. uh, can be used, yeah. um, but. But at that team brief, right at the start, and you said it yourself, mm-hmm. it's the way that team brief is conducted, the warm atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, s- uh, smiles, the, um, the non-verbal communication, mm-hmm. you know, not having your hands, um, mm-hmm. arms folded, you know, being open and warm to the team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's um, that's where you start the um, uh, the, the best possible um, practice, really, yeah. for the for the team. I think we've covered an awful lot of things, actually, that I had down on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Just the whole of human factors. Yeah, like, that's uh, it, done. We've done. Minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I have? I mean, I know there's so much that we have, you know, there's, there's a huge amount with human factors to cover better. I think um, 
um, I think the debrief is some is something mm. that's worth that's worth. I and mean, we always mm-hmm. always talk about the talk about the briefing, but the but the debrief is um, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that doesn't necessarily have to be a formal um, process. I mean, if the you know if you're if you're the consultant and um, uh, your uh, trainee is closing the chest, for example, and you know you've uh, you've gone out of theatre and then you come back, and if the case has gone really well it's it's really really good to say well look you know what that went really well Mm. today you did a fantastic job um really pleased you're progressing really really well um and that makes um and that makes the trainee feel feel really special Mm -hmm. and feel feel good about themselves um thanking the team is really important as well um if something hasn't quite gone as well it just depends on levels i think and so if it if it's just a minor thing then you know and it involves the whole of the team then i think it's perfectly allowable to sit to say that in front of the team but if but if someone's had a had a major problem um i'm not sure i would i would flag that in front of everyone mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. um and i also think it's really important you know if you do have a have an issue and let's say a trainee's uh, operating and they make a mistake or they cut a blood vessel or they do something rather um now they now they know they've done that mm-hmm. yes they do but but i would never say oh look what you've done you know mm-hmm. i i would say we so mm-hmm. i say we as the team you know we've uh, we've had this problem mm-hmm. um and that diffuses things firstly but also it means that uh, subsequently then you can have that one-to-one with the um, with the trainee and mm-hmm. and you know talk about um, how do you think that went you know that's um, that mm-hmm. an, o- an opening gambit mm-hmm. and um, you know talk about ways and what could we do differently and what are we going to learn from this and um, and so on so mm-hmm. um, so the debrief is a is a really really powerful mm-hmm. um, resource that you can actually learn learn from experiences um, and positive feedback is is really really good for the team mm-hmm. you know i can't i just can't stress that enough mm-hmm. you know and actually saying thank you to the team the power of that is um, is immense mm-hmm. um and sadly a lot of us end of the day we're tired you know we just walk out of theater i've done it myself mm-hmm. you walk out and you forget to say um to say to say thank you mm-hmm. and it's um uh, it means a lot to to the to the team it really does mean a huge mm-hmm. amount yeah absolutely i think that's uh, the debrief is becoming a bit more common I think now um, but still we're not doing it enough and I think the other thing the other points where we probably don't debrief as much as we should do is probably after things like cardiac arrests and um, and for what we do sort of emergency re that sort of thing um, because actually um, depending on the level of experience of people as well well in just in general actually it shouldn't matter on the experience it's just in general actually uh we should probably get better at that i know that's something that um in the past i've thought oh i should have done that when you know and often actually immediately after can be quite difficult to do the debriefs you know people are usually scattered in a million places and um you may have other things that you've got to go and do um but i think maybe somehow we've got to work out a way to prioritize that too um because yeah. i, I yeah. think that's especially if people aren't quite sure what they've just witnessed as well occasionally you know they just aren't sure and then people all sorts of stories come out of that <laughs> so i think yeah. i think that's always a useful thing brilliant definitely definitely yeah yeah. oh well thank you very very much uh for joining me it's been a really interesting conversation um and i'll just say for everybody listening as well that um Peter, straight Professor Brennan, I still can't quite get rid of the no, hierarchy. No, 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 no. Well, that, you see, that, that lowers the, yes. the hierarchy. Yes, you see, and it's, it does. It's, um, <laughs> um, you know, and that's uh, it's just really important. Yes. Because, you know, that, um, and once you call um, call someone like that, then it's, it's you know, you feel, you feel you know, if, I, if I'm about to make a massive mistake, mm-hmm. you could say, hang on a minute, Peter, I think, you know, rather yeah. than hang on, Professor, you yeah. know, yeah. up on a, you know, so it's just so important. Yeah. Um, in fact, we published a, a short article in the BMJ about two years ago about empowering um, junior doctors to speak up. And of course, that isn't just for junior doctors. It had to be worded like that because, yeah. of, the, because of the BMJ, but yeah. empowering everyone to speak up yeah. uh, without fear. That's the most important thing, yeah. without fear of retribution. Yeah. And yeah. It, everyone's got an important point to make. So yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say there is loads loads of articles loads of articles loads of really interesting resources just google (laughs) peter brennan loads i think you can even get your phd online it's all there now that that again you see right so that's um um, i think we have we have about eight or 90 papers on Mm. on safety and hf Mm -hmm. and things and 
and that and that is about uh, that, um, that's about teamwork and you know, bringing mm -hmm. people together. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't write every single paper mm -hmm. like that. You know, I bring people together. Um, people write them um, with us as part of the team, mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, why success. I'm not sure if it is if it's successful or not. You know, people people might say I'm I'm absolutely crazy to to write that number, mm -hmm. but but if but if you define that as successful, mm -hmm. you know, that's how we've been successful yeah. by by. Um, you know, bringing people together and valuing um, trainees, other colleagues, uh, airline pilots. I'm working with National Air Traffic Services. I'm actually working with a fellow who wrote the CAP 737 mm -hmm. now, and, and uh, you're mm -hmm. extremely welcome to, mm -hmm. get, to get involved with that. Mm -hmm. You know, bringing people together is mm -hmm. it's just really important. Yeah. People feel valued, Caroline. That's yeah. what's important. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and uh, I think sharing experiences and understanding the relevance of one thing to another is is hugely valuable in bringing things forward because quite frankly if we don't we stay exactly where we are you know there will be no change there will be no advancement you can only get that when you share experience and you share knowledge and you develop new new, new ways of always. thinking so that's yeah, my um, and lastly i will mention gray's surgical anatomy oh, no, oh, no, no, no. it's fantastic <laughs> i do love it i love it so this is a yeah. book that um that pete has edited it's fantastic and it's um and i would recommend it to anyone who's doing mrcs and frcs like the bit in cardiothoracics is great uh, I, I love well, it we need yeah to we need to get you involved with an, with an exhibition. That's uh, that's the first thing. But the reason, the reason, I mean, the only reason that I that I would mention that book, and yeah. thank you so much for the uh, for the lovely compliments, um, is because before you pick up a scalpel, before you do any operating, uh, right at the start of that book, there is there is a chapter on minimising error in the operating mm. theatre, yeah. and talking about many of the things we've we've actually discussed yes. on this on this podcast. So yeah. um, re really important really important it's well and just and just put yourself into that position if you were the patient being operated on uh, would you want your surgeon to have to have um, have had an adequate rest um, mm -hmm. to be to be appropriately hydrated to be able to communicate effectively with the team and the answer is you would i don't think anyone would say no yeah so it's just so important yeah yeah well on that note on that note i think i think that's probably probably where we should finish but thank you so much pleasure thank you so just to say again, a big thank you to Professor Brennan for joining me on this podcast and I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, just to say it's definitely worth listening to the Royal College of Surgeons um, podcast called The Theatre and they did an episode on human factors which features um, Professor Brennan as well as uh, some other course, other surgeons including uh, uh, the general surgical trainee who um, gives the example of situational awareness uh, so you can hear that firsthand and I think she does it a bit better than I did um, in addition the Grey Surgical Anatomy is a very good textbook I think it costs about £100 so might be worth uh, speaking to your libraries and seeing if they're able to stock it um, thank you so much for listening and as always uh, please do get in touch with any comments at sctseducationpodcast at gmail.com or on twitter using the handle at podcast underscore uh, right see you next time thank you very much bye